0: Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. I want to um, talk to you about the power of prayer, which kind of most people who have been in and around the kingdom a while know that, how, you know, what is prayer? It's It's kind of, staples. But there's a difference between prayer and effective prayer. And I've been evaluating, I'd like my prayer to be more and more effective, more powerful. And so I've been kind of meditating on this for the last week, looking into different commentaries then researching Scripture and uh, also analyzing some of the things. And when I've seen the miraculous happen, I've said, wow, God, why now? Why not before when I pray? What about the timing of all those things? So first of all, um, prayer. What's the definition of prayer? It's a solemn request for help or an expression of thanks addressed to God. Pretty straightforward. It's a solemn request. So this is not like an obo. It's communication with the king of the universe. Just let that go down for a minute. You get to speak to the king of the universe in your prayers. And it says he hears. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture, but there's uh, over 350, I think, the statistics. I also looked at statistics about prayer in the U.S., Barner statistics. Some of them are not very impressive. Others are. So I'm going to share a little bit. Barner is the one that does a lot of the Christian statistics for years. But it says that prayer is mentioned 375 times in the Scriptures. So it's one for at least one a day or more. Um, the Bible contains at least 377 references to praise. So praise and prayer are amazing. Well, here's some Barna statistics. They did a blind study. First of all, um, we know that the, the stream that we're part of, Global Awakening, they have now are part of a number of doctors are working with validation of power prayer that results in miraculous and the proof of those things. So they've got a, a, a host of doctors That are in many of the different fields, and they're collecting data that says before prayer, they prayed. This was the condition, they have the medical information on the before prayer, and then the results after prayer. And they're finding out, because you know, the 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 demonic realm has brought Reiki and all sorts of other stuff into the hospitals, right? And so, as a counter to that, Christians now they're saying we need to understand faith prayer and make it validated as equivalent or more, because we know the God of gods is greater than the demonic realm. So when they validate this and they get approval by the medical associations, that prayer, well, here's, they did, they've done blind studies. They've now got actually grants. And here was one, a group of physicians used a double-blind drug study to look at the effectiveness of Christian prayer on healing. This one happened to be in San Francisco. I love that. That ought to be a good place to do one of those. San Francisco General Medical Center randomly divided a placebo group and a test group. Patients in the test groups who were prayed by Christians and the placebo group received no prayer. Before it all started, there was no statistical difference between the placebo group and the prayer group. So they basically were the same before. As they prayed, this is what the result was after years of this. It says, the statistical difference was the ones who had received prayer suffered less congestive heart failure, required less diuretic and antibiotic therapy, had fewer episodes of pneumonia, had fewer cardiac arrests, and were less frequently intubated and ventilated. That's the godinstudy.org if you want to go. It's richdeem And here's what um, this was encouraging. US News and Internet, they did a study of why, how, and where and when do people pray? 75% of the people in the United States who pray are Christian. That's good. 64% of them said they pray more than once a day. Do y'all pray more than once a day? That's encouraging. One of the not-so-encouraging statistics is the average time Christians spend focused on God in the U.S. is four and a half minutes a day. Christians. On average. That's not... if If you take out Sunday service, the amount of time they spend during the week in devoted, dedicated time in prayer or reading Scripture, the average Christian... Spends four and a half minutes a day. That's not cool, especially when you think about how much time they spend on those devices and news. And yeah, whoa, we could all get convicted of that, right? Okay, fifty-six percent of them prayed mostly for prayer for family members. Only three three point three percent prayed for strangers. Well, that's good. It was focused. It's close to home. A little over thirty-eight percent said most of the their purpose of prayer was they felt intimacy with God. so over half of those who do pray felt an intimacy with God in that time of exchange. It goes on there's, there's lots of statistics here. Um, one of them was, do Christians believe that God answers prayer? High percentage. 85 percent said yes, and those who did not have their prayers answered, a majority of them, high percentage did not get angry at God for not answering his prayer. They realized it probably wasn't a really good prayer. It was centered around something else. And we're actually going to look at what James says about that, right? So if we look at prayer, it's this solemn request. I just want to encourage us. We've uh, Monthly, we've been doing our burns on Friday nights, and we take 24 hours, and we've been praying. We worship from 7 to around 12, sometimes 7 to 2. We have different worship teams come in, and then we take an hour of prayer, until 7 p.m. the following, having that devoted time of prayer. And I want to encourage us that um, we would become more of a people of prayer. Become more of a people of prayer. Now, I believe you're, you're, you're beyond the, what I would call the nominal Christians, those that are in this group. I want to believe that we spend more than four and a half minutes a day but I also want to pray that we're into effectiveness. And so I want to look at scripturally, how do we move from what I'll call casual prayer to effective prayer that James speaks about. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There's a lot in that statement. The effectual, the effective prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. I want us to move into that direction. So I want to tear apart some of these scriptures. I titled the message, if you can look at your outline, Call to Me and I Will Answer. Well, that's good. If you look at the rest of that Jeremiah scripture, it says, And I will show you great and mighty things that you didn't know. King James says, Secret things you didn't even have a clue about. So is there a difference between a call and a call? Yes, right? How about um, we've got our grandkids. We had sleepovers. We had lots of my two-year-old grand. We were at the flotilla last night, and it was while we were in. Uh, it was crazy over at the beach. I'll just tell you that. There was a lot of people there. And we were in Mellow Mushroom ordering pizza with all of our gang, right? And my two-year-old Gabriel's there, and he is a piece of work. They're all unique, but Gabriel is just a piece. He's a, and so think of this kind of a call. Mom's, Dad, Grandpas, when Grandma, Grandpas, when you're in that place, and the child, Mom, Dad, Dad, Mom, as opposed, Mom, Mom, Daddy, Daddy. Is there a difference in the call? Is there a difference in your response? I know some of you are now awake, right? Right? Not, no, not you were never asleep, but, but there's a difference, right, in the response. And also in the, the avenue of the request, and if you've ever had one of those, I'm sure you have, right? You go flying, right? Especially in the middle of the night, if they're having a bad dream, you're fly, you're up the stairs, you're you're ready for combat. And what am I, you know, right? Right, man. I've seen my wife jump over fences to go after a child and protect him from a dog. I'm tell, she doesn't like dogs and got attacked when she was a child. Don't you mess with the kids. I know you like dogs now, but I remember there was a time there you got bit when you were a little girl, right? But man, don't. So what's the point? When God says, call to me and I will answer, there's a difference to the request and to the urgency of the effectual fervency of your prayer. There's those uh, wimpy prayers, right? right? Our little two-year-old yesterday were fighting over a stick and one wanted the bigger stick than the little stick and he wanted, and he's carrying on as a two year old and he's laying in the ground. Ah, oh, Papa. I said, it's not your stick. You can't ah. that's that's a wimp prayer, right? That's a whiny prayer. And what do you do with that? Usually the Lord says, No, just go ahead and have your two year old tantrum. You're not getting it, right? And we don't like it and we oh God, you don't love me. You know, Papa, why are you helping me? I'm not helping you. You're you're being selfish and we're trying to teach you got to share. It's not yours. And uh Man, there's a lot in that. The Lord shows. You, do you see yourself in this, Tom? Yes, I do, Lord. Thank you for showing me that. There's these wimp prayers, whiny prayers. There's the cry for danger or for help prayers. So let's uh, let's open this scripture. We we're doing a devotional this week in Psalm 116. Just, man, I just love this psalm. So turn with me to what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 116. It, all, it deals with so much of calling out for the Lord to help us, to deliver us. This message of this psalm talks about how responsive God is and how our love is fueled by His response to our needs Well, that ought to teach us if... Verse 1, Psalm 116, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. King James says, I love the Lord because he heard my voice and my supplications. There's something about meeting the needs of your children, they... They just love on you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. Now look at the despair. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terror of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is, how good he is, so merciful, this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death, and he saved me. Let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. So I walk in the Lord's presence as long as I am here on earth. I believed in you, so I said, I'm deeply troubled, Lord. King James says in verse 10, I believed, therefore I have spoken. I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits to me? New Living Translation, there's something about believing in prayer and believing in the response and the the effectiveness. It says, I believed and therefore I spoke. In verse 11, it says, in my anxiety, I cried out to you. These people, they're all liars What can I offer the Lord for all he's done for me? I'll lift up the cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. I'll keep his promises to the Lord. In the presence of all his people, the Lord, he cares deeply when his loved ones die. Isn't that into scripture? I've shared that at, at funerals. The Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die. Interesting scripture. I, the Lord, I am, oh, Lord, I am your servant. Yes, I am your servant born into your household. You freed me from my chains, and I'll offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving. See, this is that prayer even when I don't see the results. I offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Many of you have done that this weekend. Maybe there's things that this not too thankful to see here, but I offer you a thankful, graceful thank you, Lord. And I call on the name of the Lord, and I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people, in the house of the Lord, in the heart of Jerusalem, praise the Lord. How many times did this person call out through death, through circumstances, through situations, anxieties, through fears, and the Lord delivered them? No wonder this psalmist offers a thankful sacrifice of praise to his Lord. So Psalms 116 says, Call. Jeremiah says, Call. The Lord will answer. Well, what does Jesus say about prayer? Let's turn. He says a lot. Let's turn with, uh, t- turn with me to Matthew 7. In Matthew chapter 7, early on in his walk as he was training the disciples and the people, he was teaching them about the principles of the kingdom. Matthew 7 is chock full of well, all of that. first part of Matthew is just lots of teaching principles here, but first part of it is don't judge, you'll be judged. If you got a log in your eye, why don't you find it before you find the speck in your neighbor's eye? And then look at verse 7. New Living Translation titles this effective prayer. Jesus says, keep on asking. Matthew 7, 7, keep on asking. There's some kind of crazy religious thing out there. Well, I only have to ask once. God heard my prayer and that's it. God knows what I need, He's gonna answer. Where is that in the book? I'll just tell you what Jesus said. Keep on asking, keep on knocking, right? Keep on seeking, the door will be open to you. Now, you may not get all the things you're asking for, but the door opens, right? Keep on knocking, and the door will be open. Verse 8, for everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who seeks, finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Then he teaches, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give a good gift to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? But I want you to see sandwiched between effective prayer is stop judging others, look at your own mess in your own eye, and then do the golden rule. Verse 12 says, the golden rule, do unto others, right? And then there's a narrow gate. If you think you're going to get in, there's a narrow gate that you better pass through and his name is Jesus, right? And then you'll know it all by its fruit. So you can take it out of context, but effective prayer is sandwiched with righteousness, Self-reflection. Stop judging everybody else. You're not such a you know, great loaf of bread either, buddy. You got a big log in your eye, and if you get that out, you might be able to see the speck. Then he goes, I just want you to do the golden rule. So effective prayer deals with that righteousness. Those who seek the Lord in righteousness have an avenue. And James, I love James. He, he's just awesome. Let's, let's take a look at Luke 18 about an unjust judge. This one always threw me for a loop for a while, but let's take a look at Luke. Jesus does another teaching about prayer in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. Luke 18, 1. Jesus, again, red letter, he's teaching about persistency of prayer, and he talks about the persistent widow Right away, we know she's, this is a widow, so this is a person that um, probably needs some help, has lost, been through some loss. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show them that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, he neither feared God or cared about people. Well, what kind of judge was that? The widow of the city kept coming to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God and I don't even care about people, but this woman, she is driving me crazy. Not that we would have any of that. I'm going to see that she gets justice bust. She's wearing me out with her constant requests. I don't know how to position it. He's a just God. He's not annoyed. But there's something about persistence that is just keep, keep on knocking. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. In fact, Revelation talks about the bowls of prayer that get full, and all of a sudden they tip out. When is the tipping point of that? Mm. This says keep on asking. Keep filling the bowl as fast as you can, right? It so says, she cries out to me day and night. Will he keep putting her off? Verse 8, I tell you, he'll grant justice to them quickly. But when, Now, th- this scripture, look at this. Almost seems out of context, but I see the connection now to prayer consistency. It says in verse 8, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, this is the return of Christ, second coming, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Interesting script, King James says, when he returns, the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Tied to this persistent prayer, we know, what's gonna happen towards the end? It's gonna get pretty rocky around here, right? The love of many will grow cold, iniquity will abound. Unless he returns, even shortens the length of this thing, the very elect will be deceived. In the deception, in the war, and all of this stuff, If we didn't have food to eat, my mom has been quoting this scripture, right? There's no food in the barn, even though everything is gone. The the canker worm has ate everything, yet will I still trust him, right? This is the, the working of faith. When everything is going wrong and there seems to be terrible injustice, godly people are not in power. The ungodly just is in charge. And he's just being worn out. He hates people. He doesn't fear God. But the persistent prayer warriors, those who still have faith. Jesus says, when all that's going on, will I find my people still in prayer? That'll be a mark of faith. Interesting scripture. Make us a people of prayer. Make us consistently understanding. You know, Jesus, when he walked in the temple and they had been gouging all the people, they're selling all the the doves and everything, and gouging the people that were in the sacrifice place, and the Lord walks in and he says, what have they made this place? They made it a, a den of thieves. And the carpenter, not an ordained rabbi, comes in and flips all the tables and gets a rope and chases all the money changers out of the place. What's his response? You guys have made this place a den of thieves. My father's house is a house of prayer. Come on, let, it's got to be a house of prayer. I've heard it been said, you'll know revival breaks out when the prayer meeting has more people in it than the Sunday morning. I've told you, I've I've been somewhat encouraging you to come to prayer, because things happen in prayer, in that soaking, like this morning in the acoustical set, which is different. It says, let's just soak in his presence. Well, turn with me to James. James he just doesn't mix any words. He's kind of like, he's the guy, right? James chapter 4. I'll bet you he was probably one of the most vocal half-brothers of Jesus. Remember when they were making fun of him? and said, well, you ought to go and go to your festival and be with your disciples so they can see all your miracles, right? And then after the resurrection, I wonder what James felt like. He writes the book of James. He was kind of the doer. He's the He's the Martha guy, right? Faith without works is dead. Don't tell me about what you say; let me see what you do. And now he doesn't mix any words about prayer. Let's look at. Uh, let's begin in the last part of chapter three of James, verse thirteen. If you're a wise man and understands God's ways, prove it. <laughs> oh, tell me what you really feel, James by living an honorable life and doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous, selfishly ambitious in your heart, don't cover up the truth with your boasting and your lies. For jealousy and selfishness are not the kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, you'll find every You'll find disorder and every kind of evil. Man, families, jealousy, bitterness, resentments in the church house, when that starts rolling, the demonic is having a heyday. We've, there isn't a church that has not witnessed that. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, it's all pure, it's peace loving and gentle at all times and willing to yield to others doesn't show favoritism, always sincere, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Then he picks up, remember, there was no separation in this letter, but he writes, look at verse 1 of chapter 4. He then asks a question, then he answers it. What's causing all the quarrels and fights among you? This could be asked in our family, especially during Thanksgiving, Christmas, Don't they come from evil desires that are at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. Could be killing of relationships. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't even ask God for it. So the first one is you don't ask God for it. If you have a need... Ask God for it. But when you ask, and here's the motive. If you're operating in jealousy and ambition, it actually become can become Christian witchcraft. Be very careful about prayers that are witchcraft prayers. I remember praying in one of the last elections. Someone was praying. It was actually a pastor in town. says, Lord, we now speak. You're not going to let this person get in the place of power. You're going to put this person in place. I'm like... You just prayed, you're acting like God, that you know who God's gonna put in there. Romans 13 says he puts in power those he wants. When you start praying your will and you don't really fully understand God's will, dangerous witchcraft prayer. Be careful, you can pray God's will, Lord, let your will be done. Whoever you want in power, put them in power. You know everything, and I submit myself to your will. Now, I may not, you know, still have to ask the Lord what it is, that I'm supposed to do. I got to execute my voting rights as a citizen, so I got to get your heart around this matter, but be careful about exercising your will over another. Because he says, James says, you may not get it because you don't ask, but even if you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. This is effectual prayer now, verse 3. Ask God, but when you ask, make sure you know what your, motive are, your motives are. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers. <laughs> Yipes. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? And I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy with God. I never really liked the Scriptures. <laughs> like, what do you think the Scriptures mean when they say God's Spirit has placed within us And he's filled, God's spirit is filled with envy for us. He gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. The scripture says he opposes the proud, gives favor to the humble. So humble yourselves before God and resist the devil. He'll flee. Come close to God. He'll come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart and your loyalty. If it's divided between God and the world, let there be tears. This double-minded, King, uh, King James says, submit yourselves, but don't be double-minded. If we unpack this one, you have not because you ask not, right? So there's this request in prayer, Lord, I really see that I need this. Let me give you an example. How about this prayer? God, give me a good-paying job, but underline that so I can get more stuff. Lord, give me a good paying job so that I can advance your kingdom and take care of my family. You see the difference? The the, the Lord knows the motive of the heart, but we've got to examine ourselves and figure out what's really going on in here. What's the real root of how you're praying right now? That's the request that when we see what praying with the right motives. So if you look at your outline Let me read through this. It's called to me and I'll answer. There's there's wonderful power in prayer, but there is a difference between prayer and effective prayer. Jesus said, keep on asking and keep on knocking. James warned us that if we don't ask God, we can be blocked from that receiving. But he also warned us that we often ask with the wrong motives, motives that are driven by the wrong spirit, Pleasure, seeking, jealousy, fear, lust, we ask amiss. Because we have become friendly with the world, and this makes us enemies with God. Don't be double-minded, or your loyalty will be divided between God and the world. The real issue, I believe, behind effective prayer is determined by what spirit is leading us. For all who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God The Apostle Paul warns us, to follow the wrong spirit is death, and destruction is our fruit. But if we follow Holy Spirit, life and peace are produced. When we look at what breaks some of the things, how do we break free from prayers that are either whiny or wrong-motived? And they become this effectual fervency of prayer that we'll read later in James 5. Number one, I said self-evaluate your motives. Evaluate your level of obedience to the Holy Spirit. Remember, he talked about from the psalmist, the righteous. He says in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and everything that you need will be added to you. Seeking the kingdom first and walking in righteousness produces needs being met. So then you won't be praying ineffectively. You'll be praying in accordance with his will, right? And so let's look, there's a, we don't have to turn there, but if you look at it, uh, 1 Corinthians, I've listed a couple. 1 Corinthians 11.31 says this, examine yourself. This is the one that's often used in uh, communion. Paul tells us, before you take communion, judge yourself. Start looking for the log in your eye. So that you can be in that place. If you evaluate yourself, God doesn't have to cause that to be exposed. You do it yourself. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it goes on. It says, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. I like this scripture. Stop making excuses. I got hammered on this one this week. Look at, uh, turn with me to Luke 14. In Luke's gospel, chapter 14. Let's pick up in um, verse, I think, verse 15. So Luke 14, 15. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus. They're, they're sitting together, and Jesus has been teaching, and he's been talking about a wedding feast. He teaches about humility, and he teaches about um, being invited to a wedding feast. Hearing this, the man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend the banquet in the kingdom of God. You think? Imagine sitting with Jesus at the table and he says, I prepared a table for you, right? Jesus replied with a story. He tells the man a story. A man prepared a great feast and he sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come to the banquet, it's ready. But they began making excuses. That thing just jumped off the page to me. One said, I bought a new field and I got to go inspect my field. Excuse me, please. Another one said, I just got a pair of oxen and I got to try them out. He got a new set of wheels, right? You got to try them out. Then he said, there was another one that said, well, I just now have a wife, so I can't come. He blames his wife. Probably had his honeydew list, right, or something. The servant returned and told the master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly to the streets and the alleys of the towns. Invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After that, the servant had done this. He reported, there's still room for more. So the master said, go out into the country lanes behind the hedges and urge anyone to come so that the house will be full. For none of those that I first invited will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. Now, that's stop making excuses. Now, you can get wrapped up in works righteousness. I get it. You know, we're gonna try to earn God's approval. But there's something about once we're in, and we know by grace we've been saved through faith. Ephesians two. There's something about. Stop sitting on your laurels and start working for the kingdom and come to the banqueting table. Because what really happens at the banqueting table, when we serve the Lord in that place of the banquet, he actually serves us. When we become the hands and feet, I love it. When House of Mercy, when we provide for those overseas or here, when we go downtown and do the outreaches, when just something happens in the servant's heart, in the midst of that. But too often, man, I've been working all week and I'm just tired. I want to sit home and veg. So I'm not trying to put works righteousness on us, but I'm just reading what Jesus said. There was an invitation to this special place and they all had good reasons, oxen and wives and fields to check and work to do and the effectual fervent prayer. Of the righteous. Well, let's turn, we'll finish up here. Turn with me to James chapter 5. And this is a scripture we often uh, look at when we're doing prayer ministry. In number three of your outline, this just kind of hit me this week. We spend a lot of emphasis um, encouraging people to confess their faith in Christ. There's even a test that those who can say that Jesus was raised from the dead and was, um, is the son of the living God can say that. If they're not born again, they really can't. And there's something powerful in the confession of faith. And I, I want to balance this, but Jesus didn't say, repeat after me a prayer and you'll be saved. He said, follow me. I'm I'm concerned we have a lot of people, even in our churches, that have said the prayer of faith and are pretty secure about where they are. But if we were to spend the day with them and follow their lifestyle, we'd have a whole lot of questions about that. There's something about Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Forget the desires of your evil heart, right? Take up your cross daily and follow me. So I'm really, I'm challenging, I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching to us that we need to evaluate motives of the heart, where we stand, stop making excuses, and the effectual fervency of our prayer. When the king, what would we do tomorrow if we knew that tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., God's coming back and he's collecting up those who are his? We'd be excited, right? Right? But I, would we live differently in the next 24 hours, 16 hours? I don't know that we'd go home and watch the, you know, the bang, bang, shoot 'em up in the adulterous movie. Right? We'd probably be, why don't we have a prayer meeting tonight, pastor? We're going to need a prayer meeting tonight. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. I'm messing with me. I'm, I'm, I'm not preaching at you. I'm just saying, look... Will and When he comes back, will he find faith in the house? Amen. Will he find faith in this house when he comes back? I know I'm going to be held accountable. Somebody walked by, Pat walked by this, this week. I was talking, talks about, if, to whom much is shown, much is given. And I know I take another test and she goes, well, that's on you, buddy. I'm like, I know, you don't have to rub it in. Right? Uh, I felt it in love too, but... The You know, know, like, oh, Lord. No, I'm just trying to really, seriously. There's this place where we've got to rightly divide the word of truth and follow him. So how are you doing in the following of the obedience of the Holy Spirit in your life? That's really the question. And then we don't get all shamed and guilted out. We repent for the areas that he shows us. And we come under the grace that is completely forgiven by the blood of Jesus as far as the east is from the west, and your slate and mine are clean, and we say, now's a new day for me. Well, let's look at what James says because what another just a powerful way of looking and reflecting on prayer and the principles of prayer. In James 5 and verse 13, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any happy or merry? Let them sing psalms. New Living says, the Thought for Thought translation is, Are any of you suffering hardships? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Anybody got any hardships? You should pray. Are you happy? You should sing praises. Are any among you sick? Call for the elders of the church to come and pray over them, anointing with oil and the name of the Lord, such a prayer offered in faith. Now this is a prayer that's offered. First you've called and offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. That word is sozo in the Greek. Saved, healed, and delivered. Confess your sins. Now, this is interesting. It says the earnest, righteous, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And then he gives an example. Elijah was a human, just as you and I are, when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall for three and a half years, the skies didn't produce rain. I think Elijah was a righteous man and there was an unrighteous king, you know, that whole thing with Jezebel and Ahab and man, worshiping Baal and all the mess that was going on and God called a righteous man and said, I want you to pray and to shut this thing up and then I want you to pray to open it up. What a great story, but it talks about the effectual fervency of prayer. I want you to see something here. We we often share this in prayer ministry. Those who are afraid or you're Concerned about sharing your private mess with somebody? That could be prideful arrogance. It's not humility. Now, we don't go, you know, don't go blurt it to everybody. You need to know who God's going to bring to share your stuff with. But, well, God knows what I did. I'll pray to him. Well, that's good. First John 1.9 says, confess your sins to him. He's faithful to forgive you from all unrighteousness. I love that. He takes my sin that I truly confess, often communion or time, and he takes that and he says, you're now made right in me. I can't see your sin anymore through the blood of my son. The father says, not guilty anymore. That's awesome. But guess what? You may not be healed. There's another prayer scripture here that says, confess your sins, your faults, one to another, that you might be healed, saved, and delivered. Something happens when you find a trusted person and say, look, I got to be accountable to you. Here's my mess. I'm struggling with this. I confess this. Here's what I've said. This is what I did. I need to be healed, saved, and delivered. And there's something about it. It says, with two or three witnesses, let everything be established. When two or three of you come together in my name, there you are in, in the midst, Lord. Let everything be established with life and death that's in your tongue. When you make those confessions to others, something happens in the heavenly realm. And there's a healing of the heart. I've seen it happen. I'm not exaggerating. Over a thousand plus times in different cultures. But there's something about, I'm just going to keep my shame and guilt. I'll deal with it with Jesus. Well, I'm not sure how well you're going to get in that. He can. In the sanctification process, I'm not going to count anything out there. But there's something about why this is in the book. Confessing your faults one to another. Because you remember the chapter before, he talks about humility. If you will humble yourselves, James 4, humble yourselves before God and draw close to God, he'll draw close to you, then you can resist the devil and he'll flee. It's conditional. So in this, as we prepare ourselves for this whole Christmas season and what it's all about, I'm asking you tomorrow morning, tonight, in your your quiet time this week, I'd like you to evaluate and actually have a prayer for effectiveness. God, would you put me on such an effective page with you in the righteous walk with you? You would share the secrets you told Jeremiah. If we would call you, you would share secrets with us, secret, secret things. And then, Lord, examine my motives. Where I've got all these logs blocking my view, and I've judged others, and I've had jealousies, and competitions, and comparisons, and bitterness. you got to get that out of me, God. So that I can be a vessel that can be an effectual, fervent, righteous person. And I can pray, and I can see the sick healed, the demonized, delivered, provision made. That's my heart's desire and prayer for this body of believers. So, the effectual fervency of prayer. Why don't we stand? We've got a few minutes left, but I just want to pray and ask God to not only convict, but also to empower. I love that scripture that, and actually it was my mama came up after the song set and said, there's something about the anointing, His presence so God maybe you could just ask the Lord to maybe you would go with me on this, stretch out your hands, like you're going to get a gift given to you and Holy Spirit, the word tells us. In Luke's gospel, chapter 11, that if we'll ask the Father, He'll give us good gifts. And then He tells us what the greatest gift is. It's the Holy Spirit. And we're told, Katie, over and over again, several times this week, it says, stay connected to the vine. She says, we need to stay connected to the vine. John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who are connected will produce life. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking now that you would come and you would, one, you would do spiritual surgery in our thought processes. That you'd be able to cut between the soul and spirit. Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is full of living power and is able, this two-edged sword, to cut between the soulish realm and the spirit realm. And we know that God is a spirit And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. That spirit of the holiness of God comes and he sets us free so that all of the faults and all of the excuses that we've made and how we've judged others and given ourselves grace, God, we just humbly come before your throne and ask you now to release your spirit that there would be a body of believers that Causes hell to tremble when they pray. When they come together in prayer, it's like, no, these are, the, these are the prayer warriors. These are the ones. The Lord gave me this sense, and I'll just finish. It's in the outline, but I just want to read. It says, the Father is not raising wimps, but mighty warriors. Amen. And Timothy was told by Paul in 2 Timothy, soldier on, son, soldier on, all the stuff and all the battles and everything you're soldier on, sons and daughters. Because the road to glory in the kingdom is paved with suffering, confusion, chaos, and victory. All of the pavement that you've been walking on in your life that's just like, God, I don't even know where this twist and turn's going. It doesn't even seem to be a guardrail on my life right now on this area. And the Lord says, just keep soldiering on, because the highway to holiness, got all those roadblocks in the way, God is there. Holy Spirit, would you come, and would you fill us now? Fill us with your presence. Overflow us. I ask for dreams and visions. As we prepare for this dream class Wednesday night, amazing, the first one. Lord, many have told me, excited about it. I had dreams stored up, ready to get them God, I pray, Lord, now that you'd give us dreams and visions in the night, revelation of the things that are coming, the things you want us to experience, the things you want us to fix. So, Lord, I thank you. Equip us. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, do not scoff at prophecy, but all things by prayer and thanksgiving, letting our requests be made known. So, Lord, I thank you. Lord, I ask that this would be a house of great prayer. And now bless every family represented here, Lord, every loved one, everything that's going on in their lives. God, I pray that you would let your face shine in those areas, and you'd grant them peace. Give them the wisdom to know what they can fix and what they can't, and the patience to let you do the rest. So we thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. If we could have a couple of songs, we're just going to call the ministry team forward. And... uh, If you need prayer this morning, please don't leave. Don't forget, Wednesday night we'll be here for the Dream Interpretation School.